to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. So Tim, your guest this week was Lisa Howard, who is the executive vice president and global CRO at Hearst Magazines. And I feel like this topic has come up a couple of different times over you know, the past couple of years on the podcast when we talk to the heads of large sales organizations at media companies. But this kind of reorganization of the sales teams to focus on more advertiser categories and verticals versus like the brands themselves. And it sounds like this is a topic that you guys talked about a little bit. Could you maybe shed a little bit of light on what her strategy was there? Yeah. So, um, they went through reorg back in spring or February, I think was when they announced the reorg to more of the advertiser vertical based. Um, so they have five verticals. Previously, they were organized based on like content category when it comes to the Hearst Magazine's publications. Um, and yeah, it's interesting because, you know, this is a sales structure that's fairly common among tech platforms, but has been newer among publishers like i feel like there have been more examples over the past i don't know maybe three four years of publishers reorganizing uh, around brand verticals just so then you have the sales teams who are kind of experts in dealing with the types of advertisers and then you have like they have you know separate subject matter experts for things like programmatic but then I think it's to establish more of a lingua franca between the sellers and the buyers when it comes to what the advertisers' needs would be. And speaking of advertisers' needs, obviously the ad market's been a little stressed. And um, I do think that there's been this kind of like rebound a little bit um, based on the reporting that we've done. But curious what she had to say about how sales have been performing if there's been a focus on these kind of like fast, you know, transact programmatic deals or, you know, trying to get money in as quickly as possible versus maybe pitching and selling these longer uh, franchises or, you know, major tent poles. Um, curious what she had to say about what that mix looks like and if there's been any shifts lately. Yeah. So this year, the priority for them has been more the kind of performance media, um, kind of the standard media so that advertisers can who are you know, prioritizing more performance metrics, um, you know, things getting them closer to figuring out how ads performed against you know sales and other business results. That's been the priority as opposed to like long lead brand tentpole type pitches. She says that's still part of the mix and will be part of the mix next year. You know, like women's health. It sounds like they're going to be pitching stuff around the Olympics, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but that this year, more of the focus has been on the kind of standard media side of things. Got it. All right. Well, it sounds like there's a lot that you guys get into, so I'll let you get into it. Thanks, Tim. Cool. Thanks, Kayla. Lisa Howard, welcome to the DJ Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Tim. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you here, especially coming up on your one-year anniversary in the role, um, having taken over as global CRO at Hearst Magazines. How's the past year, like now that you're coming up on the one-year mark, have there been any surprises for you compared to you know what you were expecting the past year to be like? Lots of surprises. Have there not been surprises? That that would be probably a, a, a more interesting um, kind of uh, surprise. But um, yeah, I think the most uh, interesting thing um, that you know 
was I was facing when I came in the door here at Hearst almost a year ago um, is that the company was clearly ready to invest in the brand's digital transformation. So it's been really exciting to be a part of that, of this, you know, help helping to design this, the future of these powerful brands. Um, I think also, you know, from a surprise perspective, because you, you asked what the biggest surprise was, I think just the sheer complexity and scale of this organization, corporately and at the magazine level, um, the magazine's division, our global business um, alone, we're the world's largest lifestyle publisher. There are over 80 brands around the world, publishing in 57 countries, um, 28 languages. So it's you know 300 million digital monthly users, over 115 million print users. So it is a um, a big, complex organization and a big business. And we're covering everything from fashion and food to family to fitness and so much more. So there's a lot to work with here, but it is an incredibly complex uh, organization. And I'll say that complexity um, extends to the advertising business as well. So a big part of the early work here at Hearst um, was reorganizing ourselves for a more unified digital first approach and kind of absolute client focus. Right. Yeah. So you're talking about the the reorganization that was announced in February. So what would that have been about five months? Uh, yeah, March. Into your yeah. Tenure. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, absolutely. March. And so with that, like you all went from, you know, the kind of this title centric category structure to a brand vertical structure where you have kind of your sales team organized around beauty, mass retail and wellness and fashion and luxury is another one. And there are five verticals total. Was that something that you planned to do off the bat or was that something you realized needed to happen as you got into the role? I did not know that actually when I first came into the business. I really tried to take a couple of months, um, really, you know, three, four months to just understand again, because that complexity was there and we needed, there were a lot of brands and a lot of different um, audiences that we're thinking about and a lot of different industries that we're working with uh, on the B2B side with our clients. And so the big the big kind of um, point of this whole shift was to change from being organized around our own businesses to being organized around our clients' needs. And, you know, one of the things that I was kind of centrally focused on as part of this is there is so much insight here in this building at Hearst into what consumers care about. Um, and we knew that we could unlock a lot of that to solve, to help really solve. Um, our clients' problems. And, you know, and I'll, I'll give you some examples of that. I'll give you one example. Um, we're, we're always looking for full funnel insights. So we know when our readers are browsing something like spring cleaning tips, right? We know when they intend to buy specific cleaning products um, because we have so many articles with commerce links in them. So, um, insights that are unique to us and relevant for our advertisers are now informing the media recommendations that we make for our advertisers. And I'll also say that like other media companies, we're seeing real success with contextual targeting tools with those kinds of solutions because they often perform better than other kind of 
I will say creepier targeting methods. Um, I'm encouraged about that because it's on the right side of of the consumer and of you know the privacy um, conversation happening in our industry right now. So um, I, I think that this this kind of structural shift and the reorganization was very much about how are we going to market with the best options for our clients to 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 um, really kind of unlock solutions that work for them and help them be more relevant in front of in front of our advertisers. I mean, in front of our consumers. Right. And I imagine like there's probably pretty good evidence on like why a sales structure that's organized around the advertiser verticals could be a good option because, you know, the tech platforms, for example, they've been organized around advertiser verticals for a long time. And it feels like it's been a newer trend um, of publishers reorganizing around that, what impact have you seen it have? One of the first things, it's such a, it's a good question. I mean, because immediately we saw just a streamlining of our business. A lot of um, complexity over the years has kind of uh, found its way into uh, the digital publishing space. And uh, what what we really wanted to do was to simplify, right? And this allowed us to say, you know what? Advertiser, you have one team working on your behalf, right, who understands your industry and can craft solutions that we know have worked in other cases for other kind of like companies that are that are in that industry and um, become almost experts on that industry and do it with one kind of team that doesn't um, that doesn't change, right? So they learn and they grow kind of together with our clients. So I think that's the the biggest thing that um, the the biggest thing that came out of it um, structurally. I think also that that it's helped our teams really expand the portfolio of what they are offering to clients because they no longer are only about a certain portion of our business. They're about all of our business. And as I mentioned before, there are a lot of brands. There are you know print platforms, digital platforms, events, you know, commerce, you know, offerings. So there, there's kind of a lot to navigate. And this is really just about kind of pulling back and saying, you know what, you could offer our client anything. Um, but what we want to do is understand what their challenges are and then kind of customize our recommendations based on what we know works in that space. So that was that was a big part of it. I'll say another part of it was that we we looked in this whole process you know before the reorganization we we looked inward and we we cut out things that weren't working too like big complex long lead content programs i think this moment is about kind of a maniacal focus for for us it is on digital media that works and can work quickly for our advertisers because the buying market right now needs that. They need flexibility, they need nimbleness, and we need to quite honestly operate more like the tech platforms in that way. And so that was that was a shift um, and and that's allowed us to be um, you know quicker out of the gate. And um, overall, our work is more performant for our advertisers and we've expanded the number of brands that we're recommending to clients because it's about solutions rather than just a, a you know one or another grouping of brands. Got it. Does that mean you've eliminated the long lead like brand content temples entirely? No. I mean that's a really good question and a really good I think point to clarify. There is absolutely room for building 
uh, strong ideas, right? Um, whether it be editorial sponsorships or custom programs. Um, one that I can think of we shared um, that, that I'll share with you that we built uh, this year and actually just launched this month. Um, so we're, we're, you know, to show that we're still building, we're very kind of big, complex programs where they are appropriate. So it is, I will say it is not our primary focus, but where the the need calls for it, we're building programs. Uh, one that we built um, that just launched this September uh, was um, around the brand Harper's Bazaar and their kind of their franchise called Icons. And um, the, this was the biggest, the, the single biggest program that we've ever done globally. It ran in every single September edition of Harper's Bazaar around the world. So we have 29 editions with 29 distinct editors in each country um, of Harper's Bazaar. They all ran the same editorial team and um, our editorial theme rather. And um, they were with our, our editors secured talent for their countries. And this was sp all sponsored by one advertiser by Cartier. So um, one of the, the kind of interesting things that that makes this difficult um, for most companies and, and not as difficult and, and achievable and, and, and actually successful for Hearst is that the company, the global business is operationally quite organized. So we can go as wide as our advertisers need or or dictate um, or their needs dictate. Um, and I think that's exciting and that's differentiated. And we're we're actually for 2024, we're currently building out another franchise, another large global franchise that I'm really excited about. And that's with the women's health brand for the 2024 Olympics. So uh, I'm excited about that that as well. These things take a long time. Not every brand is 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 able to kind of plan that that far ahead, but we are starting to see um a little bit of uh opening up on longer term planning for 2024 specifically. So that's exciting because there's some big kind of impactful programs with lots of extensions that that we can execute against for partners. Yeah, and it's a really interesting topic because I remember at our publishing summit in Vail back in March during one of the town hall sessions, so everyone was anonymous in the room, but it was all publishers, but there was um, actually a couple people, none of them Hearst, but I obviously can't say where they were from, but who were talking about they had paused you know, the long lead tentpole pitches at the time, and they were really focused on kind of more standard media sales. And one of the reasons for that was they were encountering some clients kind of getting you know closer to when the campaigns would launch or like really get into the production process saying actually you know what let's let's wait on this or even i think there was at least one case where the client canceled outright and so there was just i mean these you know better than i do these kinds of deals require so much commitment and you know investment of resources from a publisher perspective that for a client to postpone or cancel that last minute the publisher ends up eating a lot of the costs as you're you know you're seeing appetite for these kinds of deals from advertisers ramp back up and you're you know planning out you know for example the women's health pitch for the olympics next year um what are you baking in in terms of contingencies to ensure that the commitments from the advertisers are firm i mean 
you know, I think the, one of the benefits that we have, uh, you know, in regards to kind of the the relationship that we have with our advertisers is decades long relationships. And so um, while there's a certain amount of flexibility on these things, I think the most important thing is open communication. And if a client isn't ready or they 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 feel like they have to um, kind of hedge a little bit because of one reason or another, whether it be uncertain economic climate or a change in strategy, which, you know, we've all been living with this year. Um, I think they, uh, the, the most important thing that our teams are focused on is, you know, being in, in really close uh, alignment with clients along the way. And so that if there is something that we need to pivot on or, or postpone on, we work on that together. Um, I don't, we haven't had that, um, that situation where somebody has come to us and, you know, after we've, you know, put in a, a huge amount of resources and just outright canceled. Um, so I feel for whoever the person that you talk to, <laughs> uh, I feel for them because that can be really difficult because you've, you know, you've, you've put a lot into it already and it, and it, and it doesn't happen. Um, but you know, we haven't seen that, but I, I do think that brands are, um, kind of, they want to, to balance between that kind of quick, um, you know, more flexible media buying and these chances, these opportunities to be able to align with brands in a deeper way, right? So that they can really make a big impact and, um, you know, kind of draw off of some of the, the kind of credibility and authority that these brands have and the cultural moments that these brands are kind of owning. And have you, especially like, with the women's health example, you know, time to next, you know, summer's Olympics, are you seeing any differences with like how you all are planning to take that out to market or how you're like, um, what the timelines for that will be? Because these are longer lead things. There can be a lot involved, but we're also coming off the past three plus years where it's really been you know, like a quick turn. Everything's been quick turnaround. So much spending is being done in quarter that I wonder whether the nature of these long lead deals has meaningfully changed. Yeah, I mean, I I, I hear you. I um I think it dipped in 2023 for sure, and we did not have as many of those requests coming in. Uh, it was really all about you know flexibility, shorter you know shorter lead times, you know shorter flights. Um, and we navigated towards that. We we kind of created even for our content programs that um, our clients uh, that we deliver for our clients and they really like. Um, they want to be again associated with our brands and our editorial. Um, even for those, we we kind of pivoted and created more templated structures so that we could operate more quickly on behalf of our clients and um, you know and and manage to that really closely. We also invested in. Um, kind of the, the the project management function a little bit more than we had before because uh you know you need again that relationship that kind of day-to-day daily communication is important in those um in any of those programs that are that are kind of beyond media but 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 like media is the thing i mean media is where you get the scale and that is um really where we're seeing a lot of value in um in our uh recommendations to our clients and our clients are coming back because that that media is performing for them and they're exciting things that um, they're getting out of kind of us drawing on those insights, right? Like, so um, if we understand what our consumers care about, 
then we can unlock, as I mentioned earlier, um, things that help solve our clients' problems. And so we're in a place right now where we're organizing our content to be able to kind of contextually, no matter what title and brand might be anchoring even a, a content idea, we can expand that across uh, interest areas and contextually themed alignments for real scale on the media side and do it in a, in a way that allows our advertisers to kind of show up in the you know, right place at the right time with the right message. And that's relatively new for publishers. And Hearst, with its breadth and depth of content coverage, is getting really good at that. And so I think while these big, complicated programs are are out there and are exciting and when the moment is right and when the company, the client is aligned to that, can work very well, media also works very well. And that's really... Um, you know, kind of what what I'm focused on is is the scale that we have to offer and the and the relevance that we have to offer our partners. Got it. And we're, when we're talking about media, we're talking about I imagine banner ads, pre roll, mid roll, video ads. Is that correct? That that is correct. And um, you know, we're doing a lot of work, and we can talk about that as well. We're doing a lot of work on that side because really on the on the display side that business is changing too right we want very much to be about um, a quality high quality ad experience and what that looks like is what we're testing now right so um kind of better ads ads that are additive to the experience and and I'm kind of a believer in uh in high quality consumer, uh, or consumer and ad experiences that don't uh, annoy or disrupt uh, consumers, and I think we're moving towards that. And it's an it's actually an exciting uh, moment to be moving towards that in our industry, where ads can be, um, you know, not only relevant in in you know and placed in the in the right um, moment to be productive for our advertisers and relevant for our consumers, but they can be really uh, beautiful and elegant as well. So format innovation is a, is another thing that we're really focused on in the, in the ad world. What does that look like, these more beautiful formats? I mean, we're, we're testing a lot of them now. I mean, I think the, the thing that I know, and anybody who knows me in this industry uh, knows that I have been saying this for over a decade um, because I've seen it bear out in the data. Ads, um, consumers don't mind ads. They actually like ads. They just don't want ads to be annoying to them or disruptive or creepy. And if they can be a more um, elegant part of the experience, even if they're big ads, um, then, you know, and if they can deliver on something, and there are a couple things that in the data have always proven to be true. If you give a, a consumer an ad experience that is um, either, uh, you know, entertainment driven, so funny, right? Humor, think about the Super Bowl ads. If you give someone an ad that is utility oriented, right, that is, you know, functional for them and improves their, um, their experience, like a quiz or, you know, some sort of uh, service it's unlocking. If you uh, give them some information that is helpful, people actually like those. I think in the digital world, um, the industry overall 
uh, hasn't done as good a job as we could. The magazines industry, right? Um, the magazines business, you know, 20 or 30 years ago kind of had it down. They understood that you can make ads a compelling part of an overall content experience. You know, we're striving for that here at Hearst and that work is just beginning. Um, I hired um, from uh, Amazon um, an ad product leader who um, really understands the ads ecosystem and um, and is working very deeply with our product and design teams to build out what that future experience is. And I think the whole digital uh, you know, advertising industry has an obligation and almost a mandate right now um, to do that as the market um, kind of shifts toward a more consumer uh, driven kind of experience, right? Their advertisers and publishers know that consumers are in control. And if they don't want to see an ad experience, they will just click out, right? And so we've got to make it compelling as an industry in this moment. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we will be right back. These new formats, what do they look like? Because I feel like most of the time when I'm on a Hearst you know, publication site or most publishers site at this point, what I find the most are the in-article banner ads. And so as I swipe, there's an ad that takes up, if not the whole screen, the majority of the screen when it's on, and then I have to swipe through it to get to my article. And sometimes it's hard to swipe fully past an ad without having another one pop up kind of at the bottom of the screen. Yeah. Those aren't ideal experiences. And I think we are on a journey. I think this, you know, this actually goes to the, um, you know, one of the kind of dynamics that's a hot topic in the industry right now, which is that we're shifting in this moment from chasing scale as an industry, right, to um, authenticity and respect for the users. And, and um, you know, digital at most media companies was previously really chasing scale to capture programmatic dollars as as Ben Smith very bravely admitted in his book traffic um you know big publishers were taking cues from BuzzFeed during that era and those days are over i mean i'm i'm thankful for that because high quality content and high quality advertising has always been core to my belief system i believe that the only way to have engaged audiences and to have advertisers that have performant experiences is to to be respectful of your uh, consumers, your audiences, and to not try to force things upon them. And so we're in this moment now where, you know, kind of you're authentically earning your relationship with an audience, right? Um, And you have a respectful ad experience then um, you're going to, that audience is going to reward you and come back and be loyal. And then you've got this flywheel of a more engaged consumer and a better performing ad. Right. And so can you describe these new formats that you're testing? Oh my gosh. Can you describe them for me? Because we don't know yet. This is the exploration. So you're not testing them. Yeah. (laughs) This is, you know, this is, is, is really, um, the beginning. I mean, there are things that we have done to improve the ad experience and that we're testing to make it even better. Um, But it's things like fewer ads on the page, right? It's things like 
ads that um, maybe aren't relegated to the right rail, but that are in stream, right? It's all these things that we're testing to try to, uh, uh, you know, give the reader an experience that because they understand the contract, as I said, advertise, uh, uh, readers understand that ads, you know, there's this value exchange there, but what they want is, you know, a quality experience that isn't annoying and they mm -hmm. want to deliver some value delivered to them. And so that's really the kind of ad formats work that we're that we're undertaking now. But it's going to be a journey. This is going to take time. And, you know, I think the there are three things guiding us just overall in our future. One is better user experiences. Two is deeper relationships. And three is best in class, as I just mentioned, best in class ad experiences. And so if we can get those three things right, then, um, you know, I think we'll be very successful in this next phase of, of, of this, you know, 150 year old company. Got it. And are you expecting the new formats to be revolutionary or more iterative? Cause I feel like these days, if, you know, obviously read a lot of articles online, come across a lot of ads within the articles and, for the most part, there are these, you know, in article banners, sometimes there's, you know, a rich media or, you know, an action element to it. Um, sometimes it's just a static banner. And generally, I'm fine just swiping past them. Maybe there'll be colors that catch my eye, but they're kind of not invasive or all that interruptive. But then there are the others where it kind of takes over or it auto refreshes and the page auto refreshes and then I lose my place. But given that a lot of times these in-article banners are easy enough to swipe past, I wonder how much opportunity there really is to iterate on them in a meaningful way. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a valid question. I think um, probably not going to be revolutionary right now until Web3, we really start to understand what Web3 looks like, right? But I think- <laughs> When do you do? I mean, Please let there, me know. I know, right? <laughs> It's going to be a little bit. We need a bead on that one. But but what I will say is that on the um, you know in the in current day, what we're facing today, there are things um, and and brands are already tuning into them and asking them for things. They're like, how can we come in and be helpful? Could we unlock something behind the paywall, or could we um, help provide something that the reader couldn't already get? Like advertisers and brands want to be. Um, a good part of this process. They want to be an additive part of, of this process of delivering kind of the, the business of expensive, original, high quality content, right? They want to enable it. And so that's the job right now. The job right now is figuring out both iteratively and, you know, revolutionarily, how are we going to kind of help our advertisers um, support the the bringing of high quality content into the digital ecosystem and their game for this journey and and we're experimenting all the time and um you know it's early early days on you know we're just I've just hired this person a couple of months ago and and they're just starting you know to develop the the priorities for what we're testing um and so you know I think it's something that the whole industry should focus on this is not at all unique to Hearst this is something that you know, I think I faced in my in my last role. Um, uh, this is any premium publisher 
uh, in the future is going to need to embark on this journey and really make sure that we're being accountable to our to our readers on the ad side. Got it. And so, you know, we've been talking obviously about how what you're selling to advertisers is evolving. I'm curious also like how the ways in which you sell are or are not evolving between, I guess, like the easiest way to break it down would be between direct sales and programmatic. What's the split right now? Yeah, well, I'm not going to share the exact split, but what I will tell you is that um, we are shifting, we are changing that dynamic. So um, we want to be to the point about quality that we've just been talking about. We want to be much less reliant on the programmatic open marketplace. So we are shifting and are seeing um, really uh, positive signals and uh, you know um, growth in areas of our business on the on the programmatic direct side because we like programmatic. It's not that we don't want to operate in an automated you know fashion. We want everything to be efficient. Um, and it also has to um, be high quality. And so, um, you know, the programmatic open marketplace just isn't there yet. And programmatic direct absolutely is. So we are open to that and growing that, as I said. Um, the uh, direct uh, display marketplace is also um, an area that I think we see real um, growth potential in. Uh, you know, Hearst is... Um, you know, we have a big digital business. We have a lot of sites. I mentioned we have over 300 million people globally in any given month. And so the the opportunity around getting uh, getting us to a place where, you know, we will be some programmatic, but it will be programmatic direct and it will be higher quality. And we will be digital uh, direct business will be a big part of our portfolio as well. So, you know, one thing I've been curious about, and this could be, you know, by ignorance or naivety from, you know, having come up covering programmatic and the tech platforms, you know, especially and digital, but I've kind of wondered what the future is for direct display sales. Like if, especially as programmatic direct has become a bigger part of publishers, businesses and advertisers buying strategies, like whether that doesn't just ingest you know display sales overall and so there is no real need for direct display sales when it comes to like insertion orders and if that can't just be automated yeah i mean i would love for it to be automated quite honestly and 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 i totally see why um you know you you ask the question about kind of direct versus programmatic but i think really the answer is in what the market is ready for. We are going to transact any way the market wants to transact with us. And right now there is still quite a lot of kind of direct uh, interaction that is happening, uh, particularly in the more um, image oriented areas of our business. So luxury, for example, is our largest category. And um, they're, they are not ready in, in some cases to... Um, trust programmatic, if you will, quite just, you know, quite yet, um, you know, certainly not the open market, uh, but more and more, we're seeing people start to tiptoe into the programmatic direct space, which we're happy to transact in and actually is more efficient for everyone. So uh, we really uh, encourage our clients, but we're listening to them and we're, we're kind of operating at the level at which they want to operate with us. And if they say, we want this to be direct, then we're going to transact for them in a direct capacity. If they say to us, we want it to be programmatic, 
uh, you know, then then we're going to figure that out. Where where it gets a little bit more complicated is on the programmatic open marketplace because I think there's still a lot of cleanup in that space to be done. What do you see as the biggest areas that need cleaning up from your perspective? Well, I think brand safety, quality, um, the the quality of you know these these marketplaces is still really low. And we we are a premium publisher and we want high quality creative. We want high quality ads. We want relevance. We want all the technology that helps to make it more effective and more efficient. And we can do that in the programmatic direct space. And we're also more and more kind of operationalizing in a, in a really um, kind of efficient way, our direct, the way we direct with, we, we operate with clients on a direct capacity. So basically we're going to, we're going to transact how they want to transact. Got it. And so given that, why sell any of your inventory in the open programmatic marketplace? we need to. We have so much inventory. Um, inventory is not a problem for us. We, um, you know, we we are thinking about, and it's actually kind of a good uh, moment to kind of help un- you understand, like our just our broader um, strategy around traffic. I mean, I mentioned the chasing scale. Um, you know, we really are working very um, diligently to kind of increase engagement and shift focus away from scale to engagement with our users. And um, we know we have that. We want to build on it. They know our brands. They trust our brands. Um, they come back to us. We really want to um, build on that to understand much more deeply um, what motivates them. And that helps us both on the, the journey to uh, having them become members, right, with us, um, which is which is you know kind of the evolution of what is a subscription. Um, and it helps uh, them be a more attractive customer for advertisers because they are more engaged. So moving away from chasing scale and toward that more um, engaged consumer overall is a big part of what we're focusing on. While we're talking about programmatic, I would be, not be doing my job if I didn't bring in the third-party cookie of it all as part of that, especially because we're coming up a few months away from when Chrome will start testing, um, taking the third-party cookie away from 1% of Chrome users. Google will start taking it away. And then you know, by this time next year, give or take, um, it Third-party cookie will be gone in Chrome. Where? How would you gauge Hearst's progress in getting advertisers to wean themselves off the third-party cookie? Because that's been the challenge for publishers for the past few years. Has been publishers have been doing their work to get their alternative ID or first-party solutions in order, and the challenge has been getting advertisers to adopt them and follow suit. How would you characterize the level of your advertisers weaning themselves off the third-party cookie when it comes to buying through you? Yeah. I mean, finally, finally it's happening. Like we're excited about it. I think that ads work better when you use first-party insights, right? We're seeing that. I mean, we launched um, at CAN this year, uh, we launched a couple of data products, and one of them um, we're we're really seeing a lot of success with. Actually, two two buckets that we're seeing success with. One is um, in what we call persona targeting. So, um, you know, using our own data to really uh, create these personas that uh, we're testing and 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 um, you know, including in plans for advertisers and um, iterating on to get to really. Um, 
you know, high performance. And in a lot of cases, we're seeing these um, these more privacy safe, right, first party segments. We're seeing them perform better than um, you know other methods. And so, oh, in the, what metrics? Are sorry, they performing better. It, by what metrics are they performing better? Click throughs, engagement rates, things like that. So you know, and that's what advertisers are looking for right now. That's what that's what you know how we evaluate. Um, performance and and if we can get somebody in a in a you know through either contextual or these kind of behavioral or uh, customer segments that are based on our own data rather than a third party's data, um, if we can get those to be high performing, then it's better for us. It's better for the advertiser and it's better for the user. Hmm. And how do you price that? I feel like you know. My understanding is publishers are generally adding a like dollar fifty two dollar premium when they're using their first party data. Yeah, I mean we're fluid. You know we're testing it all the time, but the the you know the pricing structures, but the the you know the kind of healthy debate that we're having here is you know we want to we want people to adopt it, and so you know we're trying not to outprice ourselves, right? We're trying to make sure that we're just helping people test these things, helping advertisers test them, understand you know as part of you know, a media plan here, a couple different things. Let's try these things and see what works rather than saying, oh yeah, we're going to be able to charge a lot more for, you know, these more informed first party segments. It's about adoption right now. Got it. And then like so much attention when it comes to the cookie has been paid to the targeting side of things. And for good reasons, obviously a pretty seismic change, but it's also pretty seismic, if not even more seismic change on the measurement and attribution front, um, because it's changes how the evaluations are you know, made from the advertiser perspective, as well as the publisher perspective. And I think IAB made a big deal about this. I don't remember if it was February of this year or the year before, because my mind is fuzzy on time. But how are you all like working to um, shore up, you know, on the measurement side of things, any impact from changing off the cookie? Because obviously, a lot of historical baselines kind of get thrown out with the shift. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're looking at our own data and we're we're using benchmarks, right? And we're saying, okay, is this performing better than the average? Um, and then, you know, we're in a unique position. I think this is something I was really excited about when I when I joined Hearst because we're in a unique position of both being at the top of the funnel for the for the consumer and that we understand when they're browsing and being kind of further down at the bottom of the funnel when we're making product recommendations, right? And they're ready to purchase. And so watching them and 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 really that's what I meant earlier when I said about I was talking about organizing our data and getting our insights kind of um really honed and scaled so that we can offer them at scale to advertisers. Um, it's it's just a really powerful way to attribute, um, you know, when we've got an advertiser that we know somebody is in the browsing state and we know somebody is closer to the purchase state, really thinking about how we're uh, recommending our advertisers show up in each of those different states. So on measuring it and on attributing it, um, it's really uh, just looking at those performance, how those are performing versus um, versus our benchmarks. 
lastly, before I let you go, I want to talk a bit about you know, what you're seeing in terms of the state of the ad market heading into Q4. Because about a month ago, our media editor, my co-host, Kaylee Barber, you talked to a lot of CROs, uh, media companies, and they were saying Q3 ad revenue has been, you know, is pacing up. Q4, though, it just looks super hazy. And in some cases, advertisers are kind of looking past Q4 to 2024, which also made the yeah. picture for publishers in Q4 a little rough. To what extent does that line up or not line up with what your experience is? I mean, yes. So I am not going to be breaking any news here, uh, <laughs> Tim, in that, you know, my story is is similar. Our story here at at Hearst is similar on the kind of ad climate perspective, um, you know, where we are seeing real promise and actually real resilience is in the luxury business and in the design business, um, two pretty core categories for us. Um, we also are seeing more than in the U.S., we're seeing um, resilience uh, and a better performance out of our international businesses, which is interesting. I think the U.S. really got caught up in this whole recession fear moment and people kind of slowed down. And, and that has, um, you know, obviously kind of hurt everyone in the, um, in you know, in the ad business. So it's been tough overall this year. Um, I think, you know, we're still waiting on Q4. We, I look every day at, um, you know, how many RFPs are flowing in and how many proactive proposals we have. And in our business right now, um, activity is up. RFPs are not fully back yet for Q4. So that may be why you're hearing that, you know, people are hesitant when you're hearing from other, other publishers that, um, you know, that brands might be hesitant about um, feeling very positive about the fourth quarter. Um, you know, that said, there are some signs. And so, um, and and we're very close to it. And I, I, I do think that, um, you know, 2024 is, is, is my bet if we're talking about a real recovery in the ad market overall. Got it. Okay. And you would have, so you would have expected to have more Q4 RFPs come in at this point than that? Yeah, at this point. I mean, it will, I, I, it's not that I expected them to come in. I think it is that we're in a place where um, one of our core businesses like beauty, mass retail, um, retail media has has really kind of siphoned off a lot of those budgets from all publishers. And so what I'm looking for is to get back up to 100 percent. You know, what was the activity of RFPs last year? How does it compare, you know, right now in this moment? Um, and the reality is that right now we have a lot more proactive than we do RFPs. And so we're, um, you know, we we know that and we're, we're actually seeing you know, more RFPs for 2024 than we had seen at this time last year. So that's interesting. But, um, but you know, for Q4 specifically, like we, you know, we're, we're having to do more proactive work to get there. And so to what extent do you then adapt the Q4 sales strategy from what the model would have been a year ago or historically? Yeah, I mean, I think it's smart solutions. That is never going to change. It is being out there. It's two things. It's being out there in front of your clients more in person. <laughs> live and 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 in person um we, you know we have deep relationships with brands with you know kind of all the fortune 500 brands because our, of the breadth and depth of our company and the history you know and how long we've been um kind of doing business with these partners so i think that's a big part of it is being in front of them and then i think it's smart work that works 
And we've got this whole kind of mantra here at Hearst around work that works. And so it's, you know, being really thoughtful about what we're recommending, how they're informed by insights. And then at the end, you know, you know, how can we understand and learn from the results of this? What worked well? Let's do more of that, right? Um, so that's really what we're focused on right now. And then to end on a on a positive point, you mentioned 2024 RFPs are up year over year. Are you seeing any, have, do you have any big takeaways from what you're seeing in those RFPs? Any trends yeah. that you're picking up on? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking that question. Um, Yes, I mean what what I am hopeful for in 2024 and that I and I'm hopeful uh because I am hearing from brands that uh they in some cases do feel like they over-rotated to that lower funnel kind of uh more just juicing sales, right, strategy because everybody was, you know, all all, you know, the industry we were all everybody was fearful of a recession and so nobody wanted to be too bold in their in their in their planning and so it was very brass tacks it was how are we going to like juice sales in this moment what are the tactics to do that you know we are better upper funnel and um, advertisers have come back and said we need to balance that out a little bit so our planning going forward is going to be more of a balance and less reactionary to the you know potential or risks in the climate they understand they have to get back out there and tell their story in a way that is going to resonate with consumers Okay, so a bit of 2021 vibes coming. A back bit of 2020. Market. Yeah, I would say, yeah. I mean, you know, 2021 was, you know, really powerful coming off of what was a really difficult, you know, 2020 for the whole ad industry. And, you know, I don't know yet. I don't have a crystal ball, but I will um I, you know, I will share what I am 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 hearing from partners that we're talking to you know, CMOs and people who are really thinking about the future of their brands and, and those who, you know, are, are in planning for 2024 are definitely thinking about balancing between real branding and that, you know, that kind of low funnel, really um, kind of sales driving tactic. Awesome. Well, appreciate you sharing all your insights with us, Lisa. Thanks so much for coming on the show. No problem. Happy to do it. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode. 